0: There's a couple of us in here. Happy Easter to everyone. Here's your water, sir. If you have have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 uh, is where we will be this morning. Man, it is good to see you all. You all here. I just want to say before we get started, uh, thank you to everybody who reached out to to me and Ash uh, asking about baby Rip. He's officially a week old today. Uh, and he's already at church, and so uh, I guess it's a third, third, third child thing, but he's already here in public. Anyway, uh, but anyway, and so we do appreciate you reaching out and, and, and praying for us and loving on us and, and things like that. So this morning, uh, well, if you were here Friday, uh, when we started our Good Friday, our Lord's Supper service, we began in <laughs> Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. And for, for most of us, if we are familiar with you know, church at all or if we've, we've been around church at all, uh, when we think about Isaiah 53, uh, it's often known uh, where we, we hear about the suffering servant. And a lot of times when we think about Isaiah chapter 53, we think about it in context of Good Friday. Right, most of the time you think about he was, you know, he was led uh, to the slaughter. He didn't open his mouth. He was he was numbered among the transgressors. He was he was uh, the Lord. Uh, the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. So when we think about Isaiah fifty-three, oftentimes we think about it just in context of of the cross. Uh, but the reality is what I want us to see this morning that not only did over 500, 700 years before Jesus died, not only did the prophet Isaiah prophesy that he would die and that he would be buried, but also prophesy that he would rise again, raise again. And so this morning, I want us to look into Isaiah 53 uh, and just to see those things. But before I do that, uh, you may remember when we started the book of Acts uh, that we, we talked about in Acts chapter one, how, how Jesus, after his resurrection, so after Easter, Jesus appeared to the disciples and Luke tells us that, uh, that he made himself alive to them uh, after his suffering by many proofs and he, uh, he appeared to them for 40 days. At the end of Luke's gospel, we have a little bit more what that looked like, it's unpacked a little bit more. In Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47, this is Jesus talking to his disciples after the resurrection. He says, thus it is written. So, pause there for a moment. Jesus is now talking to his disciples, and the way that he's about to expound or teach them the big realities and big truths is that he's going to, uh, he, he starts with, it has been written. And there he's talking about the Old Testament, and he says... Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. There, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, this has been written about. Not only was it written that I would die, but it was also written that after three days I would rise from the grave. Verse 47, and that repentance And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Hey, this morning, man, we have the great advantage. And I hope that we never take this, uh, you know, as a given. But uh, we have a great advantage to have the Old Testament and the New Testament all in one book. And I want to teach you why. Say if you were a Jew that came to know Jesus, but say you were a Jew and all you knew was the Old Testament, the promises that a Messiah would come, the promises that God would send somebody to be the the Savior of the world. All you would have is the the future plans. But imagine, you know, actually believing that, that all of a sudden there's a New Testament and you actually begin to see those promises being fulfilled, Right? how it was strengthened of faith, or maybe you didn't grow up in church, and this is kind of how my, uh, my grow, maturing has been. One day, somebody told me that God sent his son to die for my sins, that he loved me, and that if I believed in him, that I could be forgiven of my sin, and I, I read about it in the New Testament. Then as I got older, as I began to study scripture, I began to see, hey, this was something that's been promised and planned before time ever began and began so when we see the Old Testament and the New Testament together, man, it strengthens our faith. And it gives us great confidence that today we're not celebrating a made-up story. We're not celebrating something that the disciples came up with to validate this guy that they were following. No, we're celebrating something that was, that was planned and full ordained before the beginning of time. This morning, I want to go to the Old Testament passage of Isaiah chapter 53. And I want to say this before I read it Isaiah 53, I want to need to remind you that it was not written by Jesus' disciples or the early church. It wasn't written by these group of guys who were facing maybe some persecution and resistance. So they, they, they decided, hey, I, we need to make up a narrative that proves our point. It was not written by somebody post the resurrection. It was written by a guy named Isaiah some 500 to 700 years before the event ever took place. 700 years before these things transpired, listen to me, the prophet Isaiah, not, he did not see a Messiah that would escape death, but one who would, that would actually die. In the place of sinners, then this same Messiah that he would rise to make intercession for his redeemed, forgiven, and justified people. You following with me? Like, over seven seven hundred years before this ever happened, Isaiah, the prophet, saw this Messiah, he would die. He would die in the place of sinners. And he'd be placed in a rich man's tomb. But that he would would live again and live again to, to, to give forgiveness of sins, to make intercession for many. And he makes it crystal clear that I want to remind you of this morning that this is the plan of God. And what I want you to see this morning, maybe you're just here because somebody invited you, this church thing isn't really a big deal to you. This is what I want you to see this morning. I want, to, I want you to see crystal clearly in this passage that your sins can be forgiven. That you can be declared righteous and you can have eternal life with Christ forever. Now let's read Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse three. says, he was despised and rejected by men All we like sheep have gone astray. I want you to catch that. All we are like sheep, we've gone astray. I want you to catch that. We've gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Nobody is omitted there. Every one of us have turned to our own way. The Lord, check this, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who is the architect behind this thing? The Lord has laid On him, the iniquity of us all. Verse 7 He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent. He opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Verse 9 And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, here's where we get to see Easter Sunday. He says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, check this, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many and I shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your precious word. God, we thank you for the Old Testament and the New Testament. God, we thank you that our eyes have been opened to see your great plan from eternity past, fulfilled in your son, Jesus Christ. God, we pray that today you open our eyes to see it even clearly, even more clearly, God, that you, you overwhelm our hearts with just your story and your love for us. God, I pray that as we walk through the scripture, that if there's anyone in here this morning who has doubted this Easter thing, who's doubted Jesus, who's doubted this Christianity thing, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will make it very clear to them this morning that Jesus died in their place. He was placed in a tomb that he raised again. Now they can find forgiveness of sins. God, we pray that you open our eyes to see this morning, hearts to believe. It's in Christ. now we pray. Everybody said, Amen. hey, three things I want you to see in this passage. I know we got a lot of kids in here, so I'm going to move even quicker than I use. I'm just kidding. Uh, it's Easter, I gotta, I gotta spend some time up here. Uh, but three things I want you to see. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I am gonna go fast through the first two and I'm gonna spend most of my time in the third point. But if you're taking notes, number one, in the passage of Isaiah 53, what we see is that there's the promised Messiah was to suffer and die. Uh, I get the word servant there. If you go back to chapter 52 and you go up to verse 13, uh, it says, and behold my servant. And uh, then if you go over to uh, 50, uh, 53 verse 11, you see that word again, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant. What we understand is that the Jesus came and he was serving the will of his father. He came in as a servant, right, to, obviously to seek and save the lost, but he came into a servant as a servant to his father's will. And the first thing that I see in this text that we're going to go through quickly is that this promised servant, this promised Messiah, he was—he—he he was, he was to suffer and to die. Hey, I promised we're trying to fix that mic. That was actually a new pack that I have on today. So evidently, we just need to spend some money and buy something new, uh, trying to save us money. Anyway, what we see is that this promised servant, he was sent here to suffer and to die. We see that in verses uh, verses six, uh, where it says the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We see it uh, in verse 10, whenever it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And in verse 12, we read uh, that because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. What we understand at Isaiah 53, and I know, say, Justin, this is, this is Easter. This is resurrection. Why don't we talk about Friday? Because it's important for us to catch this. The servant was sent to suffer and to die. But like I said earlier, it is crystal clear that we have to see that this was the plan of God, not by accident. Jesus, what we talked about on Friday, whenever his disciples deserted him, whenever Judas betrayed him, whenever people spit on his face, whenever he was taken from court to court, when he was he was beaten and, and, and nailed to a cross, whenever he was ridiculed from the cross, it wasn't that the will of man was being victorious. It was actually the plan of God on display. Like Jesus didn't accidentally end up on a cross. It was the will of the Lord to to crush him. You may be reminded in Acts chapter four, whenever the church was praying in verses 27 to 28, uh, whenever the the church is praying, it says, for truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Or maybe you remember Peter's sermon in Acts chapter two, whenever it says this Jesus delivered up according to the what? The definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by God. So we see in Isaiah 53 quickly that the promised servant, he was sent to suffer and to die. Why was he sent here to suffer and to die? We see a bunch of those. Check out verse four. It says, surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. We see it in verse five. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Verse six, we have gone astray. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We see it in verse 11, whenever it says, uh, by his knowledge, sorry, out of anguish, he shall, uh, anguish of his soul, he shall shall see and be satisfied. For by his knowledge uh, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquity. We see it in verse 12, that he, could offer forgiveness to the transgressions. Why did he have to die? This is the essence of Christianity. Because verse six tells us that we all are like street sheep, have gone astray. Every single one of us. But God planned in ages past to send a suffering servant, listen to me, not to just be an example of love, but to bear our sins as our substitute. He came to die in our place for our sins. Number two, I told you I was gonna go quick through these. Number two, Luke laughed at me on my notes because I don't literally have just number two and nothing under it. Not only was the promised servant, not only was he to suffer and to die, but the promised servant was to be buried. Look at verse nine. And they made his grave with the wicked. And check out how specific this was. And with a rich man in his death. You may remember that the story that we read this past Friday was a guy named Joseph of Arimathea who was a rich man who had a tomb that he had carved out for himself, and he went to Pontius Pilate and said, hey, can I have Jesus' body? Can we go bury him? So even here, the Isaiah, 700 years before this ever happened, said, this Jesus, this servant will be buried in the tomb of a rich man. Jesus told his disciples that. Now, number three, told you I have a lot on that. Number three, Not only was the promised servant, not only was he to suffer and to die and to be buried, but number three, the promised servant was to rise, and check this out, and be satisfied. To rise and be satisfied. See, yes, 53 gives us a picture of a suffering servant, but man does it give us a picture of a satisfied servant. Let's dive into this. Look at Verse 10, I first want you to see this. Check out how verse 10 is bookmarked with the will of the Lord. Verse 10, it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And then we get to the latter part of verse 10. It says, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. I need you to catch that. This verse is bookmarked by the will of the Lord. Now we understand that it was the will of the Lord to crush him, but what does it mean the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand? We'll get to that in just a minute. So what we see, and this is, you know, Isaiah doesn't use the word resurrection, but the implications are all throughout this thing, because how can a man who died now see something? How can a man who died now do anything, right? So it's it's implied here. So check out this. And so, uh, verse 10, it says, yet it is the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. There's, he's, he's setting it up. When this happens, when the servant, uh, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, there's going to be something that comes after that. But let me stop there for a moment. Here specifically, Isaiah is talking about the guilt offering. All throughout Leviticus, there's like I think like five different offerings, and hey, I'm thankful that we don't have five different offerings that we got to figure out today. That there's one offering that was given by the Son of God. That that's how. Anyway, but there were many different offerings that that they had to give, and so here Isaiah specifically talking about the guilt offering, and so man, and this guilt offering has to do with with restitution. It has to do if I've done something wrong, then I have to pay my debt off to you. And and it can't be nothing short. Like it can't be short of what the debt was. You follow me? And so this servant came to die to pay a guilt offering, to give a guilt offering, which required the exact amount necessary for the debt to be forgiven. Everybody follow me so far? All right, so it says, when his soul makes a guilt offering, it, like I said, it has to do with restitution or payment of one's death, exactly what was needed and required. Listen to me, that Jesus's offering was a sufficient payment. It was perfectly done. And here's the crazy thing. We were in debt to God the Father, but God the Father sent his Son to pay our debt. Colossians says it like this, that by counseling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set it aside and he nailed it to the cross because his offering was so sufficient. We don't even have to make offerings anymore today. That he came and he removed the guilt. So, Where's the resurrection act? Where's the resurrection act? Resurrection. I haven't had much sleep this week. Where's the resurrection at in this verse, Justin? So pick back up in the middle of verse ten. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, here's three things that happen. Here's three things that come after. Number one is that he shall see his offspring. The second one is that he shall prolong his days. The third one, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Let's go one by one. So after he makes, uh, or his soul makes an offering of guilt, first he shall see his offspring. Let me get good news for you. He, he will die, but Isaiah is saying he won't stay dead long. That he will live again to see the fruit of his work. Everybody with me? That, that yes, he's going to die, but he will raise and he will see his offspring. He will see the fruit of his atonement. He will see the fruit of his work. Hebrews 2.10 says that it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory shall make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Man, here's a great, man, this is the beautiful here. Verse six tells us we were all like sheep; we have gone astray, chasing our own deal. Verse ten tells us that those who were straying sheep are now his offspring; that he he takes straying sheep and makes them sons and daughters. That here's the evidence of the resurrection in Isaiah is that after he gives this guilt offering, there will be a time that he looks to those who have been born again, looks to those who he's made, sons and daughters, by his great payment. Not only do well, he shall he see his offspring, number two, he shall prolong his days. This man just died. How can his days be prolonged? Because he would raise again. This pro- prolonged is it is it is emphatic as in he will live forever as in like his days will not end they will never stop they will never grow short they will never they will continue forever. Luke quoted earlier, but Romans six nine says we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him listen to me, church, death no longer has dominion over him, so he will never die again. Isaiah told us in Isaiah 53 that his life will be prolonged. He will live eternally with God and the fruit of his work. Number three, the third thing that we see. So we see that he shall see his offspring. Yes, he will die, but he will see his offspring. He will see the fruit of his work. His days will be Prolonged and number three, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. We see that at the end of verse 10. What he's saying here is that he will be the Lord of all. That ultimately that this Jesus, this servant, this resurrected servant, will take the scroll of eternity and he'll execute the will of the Lord. Man, I love this. Check out the very beginning of verse, beginning of verse 10 says, The will of the Lord, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Right? Why did he crush him? To to bring salvation about for all who would believe. And then it says that the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Check this out. This servant is the one who accomplished the will of God and he's also the one who executes the will of God. He's the one who was crushed for salvation, but he's also the one that the will of God is actually, uh, that is, the Lord is prospering through that he, he the one who, who who bought salvation is also the, still the one who gives salvation. So Isaiah writes that we see a Messiah who is dead but is alive, who is victorious forever as the Lord of all to all those who receive him. So let's move on to verse 11. So, we see that out of the anguish or uh, when his soul makes an offering, he shall see his offspring. The second thing we see in verse 11, it says out of anguish of his soul. Here's three more things that happen after this, right? The anguish of his soul after he has died, three things will happen again that Isaiah writes. First of all, he shall see and be satisfied. The second one is that he will make many to be accounted Righteous. And the third, he shall bail, check that, he shall bear the iniquities, their iniquities. Let's take one by one again. So, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Listen to me, church, a dead man can't see and be satisfied. So, what Isaiah is telling us is that this man, this servant, will suffer and die. He will be buried, but he will come back to life and be able to see the work that has been accomplished and he will be satisfied in the work that had been accomplished. He will see it and be satisfied. He will live again and look at his work and be satisfied because it is a complete work. It is a perfect work. It is a finished work. See, this servant will be able to look upon He shall see and be satisfied, but not only that, but he will make many to be accounted righteous. Do you understand that this morning, that yes, on the cross, Jesus paid the debt of our sin, but now because of an empty tomb, he can actually look upon me and you and declare us righteous. He now has the authority to actually make the declaration that this sheep that was going astray is now righteous. Says he made many to be accounted righteous. Wait, he did say he didn't only accomplish salvation, but he's also the one who executes it. He's the one that is declaring us righteous. The word righteous literally means that he will justify many. This isn't a dead Messiah, I can't justify people. Only a living Messiah. All who come to him will be justified and declared righteous. Here's the good news of the empty tomb. Listen to me. Not only did this servant die on a cross, but even out of the anguish of his soul, because he was was nailed to the cross, now he has the authority, what does it say? To make many people counted righteous. Like that, you should at least say amen to that. Maybe, I'm, maybe I haven't slept enough and I just see I'm feeling all my own depravity and I'm thankful that my righteousness isn't given to me by something that I've done, but simply by a resurrected Savior who looks at me and says, nothing of you, but I declare you righteous. Anybody this morning? Maybe it's Easter because we're looking good, so we feel like we're not as bad as we once were because I'm all dressed up. Hey, I've got my shirt tucked in. I feel good about myself, but I'm thankful that the suffering servant was raised and he's satisfied in his work, so much so that the father's satisfied and gives the son the power to look at me and say, he is righteous. So we see that he shall see and be satisfied. He'll make many accounted righteous. In the last part of verse eleven, it says he shall bear their iniquities. He shall bear. This is this is future tense. Oh, wait, I thought he just bore their iniquities, right? Everybody with me? Like, didn't, isn't that what the cross was? He he bore their iniquities. what does it mean? He shall bear their iniquities. And I'm glad you asked because it's awesome. Now he lives to make intercession for those whom he has justified. And this is what Isaiah is telling us. You ready? This is why it's so important that his days are prolonged. You ready? Because as long as he lives, his death is utterly sufficient to pay all of our sins. He'll never die again. For all of eternity, his death is sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. Listen to me, child of God, this is why it's important because you never, you no longer ever have to bear your own sin anymore. Because this servant, he suffered and he died and he was buried, but he was raised again. And now he can look upon those sheep that have gone astray and say, they're righteous. He is satisfied, we are justified, and now our sins are carried by another forever. Lastly, the last picture of the resurrection, we see it in verse 12, and man, I really like this one, I hope I can do it justice. And so if you go halfway through the verse, it says, because he poured out his soul to death and he was numbered with the transgressors. So there it is again, All right, There's the marker, we've seen three markers of death. We've seen it. In verse 10, where there's a the will of the Lord of crushing. Verse 11, the anguish of a soul now because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered among the transgressors. Check out the beginning of verse 12. Therefore, I being God, I will divide him a portion among the many. Some translations actually say the great. What he's saying here, what Isaiah is prophesying is that this suffering servant that came in was despised. I catch this. Maybe somebody needs to hear this this morning. The suffering servant that came and was nailed to the cross that was placed in a tomb that was raised from the grave is now exalted to the right hand of the Father in total control and in all authority. And that's the picture. This is what, uh, if you walk through the first eight verses, you look at Jesus and he had no place. Like he had no authority. People didn't accept him. And now Isaiah gives a contrast to that, that after he, because he died, that his father will raise him. He will, have, he, will, he will have a portion among the greatest, and he will be exalted as Lord of all. Hey, this morning we we still serve this same Jesus, and he isn't this, this humble Galilean carpenter. That like a lamb to the Slaughter, he didn't open his mouth. Now he's a risen, reigning, ruling king of the universe. And when he comes back, he won't come back as a suffering servant, but a conquering king. So, because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered among among the transgressors, literally means was seen as a transgressor. As in he, was in, he was going through a line and said, this guy's a transgressor. He was numbered among the transgressors. He says, I will divide him. And so, let's, I hope you catch this this morning, church. The Father will exalt him. Everybody with me? Everybody following with me? Now, watch what, what the exalted one does, look at the second part. And he shall divide the spool with the strong. It's the imagery that his death was like an incredible battle that was won. And with it came much spoil. With it came much treasure. With it came much things to be experienced and to be enjoyed. And so this servant, if you will, he is exalted and what he does is he now divides the treasures of his victory with those who follow him. Right with me? Uh, He shall divide the spoil with the strong. There's great triumph in his death. And now he shares the spoils of that victory with those who are his. Hey, we get to experience hope, not because we've brought anything to the table, but because Jesus defeated death. And now he says, you know what? Death no longer has dominion on me. I'm gonna share that spoil with you. I've got joy that I'm returning to my father for all of eternity. He will be with his father. So what does he do? He says, I'm gonna go and prepare a place for you so that you can enjoy the spoils of my victory as well. Maybe you're catching me now. Maybe he's like, don't. listen to me. Everything that, every blessing that we have of being a follower of Jesus is not something we've done on our own. It's Jesus allowing us to enjoy the spoils of his victory. So wrapping up. Jesus looks, the servant looks at his work and he's satisfied. The work is complete. But I got to thinking, what is he seeing? Yeah, I know he's seeing that his father's will has been done, but what is he seeing? I'd like to think that he sees his offspring. He sees those, the fruit of his work. He sees What is known as the church that he is satisfied at the side of a great assembly of people from every race, every tribe, every people group, every language, every nation. And he has great joy and satisfaction in being their saviour. And he, he devised the spoils of triumph among his people. And what we see is that, yes, he is satisfied in his work, but he's also satisfied in giving the spoils of his work to those who would believe in him. He has great delight in saving men and women. So my question to you this morning, are you his? Have you placed your faith in him? Because I hope it's become crystal clear to me and to you that in God's plan of salvation, you and I didn't play any part at all. Right? Like in Isaiah 53, never once did it say, and he will get 12 people with him, dudes that will go and I'll go preach. No, it was the servant will come, he will die, he'll be buried. And he'll be raised again. And because of that, he and he alone can give forgiveness of sins. Because he's the one that's resurrected, he and he alone can look at the sheep that have gone astray and said, I've made you righteous. This morning, I hope it's crystal clear to you that God of the universe, that created all things and sustains all things, has one plan of salvation, one way of salvation and it's through his son. In eternity past, he didn't come up with many different plans and different procedures of how man might be saved. From all of eternity, it's always been in Christ and Christ alone. Have you trusted in Jesus this morning? Has this Easter that we're celebrating Is it your celebration? Can you celebrate that you've experienced the spoils of his victory? Can you you sing for joy because you've been able to experience the treasures of knowing Jesus? That when he died on the cross, when he was resurrected, that he, man, he he got arms loads of treasure and spoil. And now those who are his, he divides. Have you experienced those things? If not, I want to invite you to do so. In a minute, I'm going to quit talking. I got two minutes. I am want to invite you, if the Lord's calling you this morning to, to trust in Him. You don't say, Justin, I feel something. Like I don't know what it is. It could be the Lord calling you to trust in Him. Uh, I'm going to be standing out front. Luke is in the back. I, I Ryan's somewhere in here. Uh, He's Ryan's in the sound booth, and Paul's right there. And so, If we'll just kind of spread out along the back whenever uh, I get done so people can find you. If you want to talk to somebody about salvation, say Justin or Luke or Ryan or Paul, I just want to know more. And we'd love to talk to you. Love to talk to you. Child of God, one last encouragement. Go read Romans chapter 6. After it gets done talking about how Christ will die no more, death no longer has dominion over him. You know what Paul ends that section with? And you yourselves. Must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Because Christ will die no more. Because of his finished work, you and I now, scripture says that we've become dead to sin, live in that reality, live alive to God. Because of his work, you and I now can actually live for the Lord in obedience to him. I'm gonna pray and then we can stand and move as the Lord leads. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that hundreds of years ago, hundreds of years before the events of Easter weekend, God, your prophet Isaiah, you allowed him to see a servant of yours that would come to live out the will of his father, that would suffer and die, that'd even be placed in a rich man's tomb, but the death nor the grave would be able to hold him. That he would raise victorious and in doing so be exalted to a place that he is the Lord of all the universe. He is the Lord of salvation. He is the one who gives salvation, God, that, that today, even sitting in this room, there's someone, someone in here who hasn't experienced your victory. God, that today, even today, he can make them counted righteous. God, we just pray that you move in a way that honors you and we obey in a way that honors you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.